When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Tales to Terrify and Starship Sofa. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 175. I'm your host, Nicola seaton Clark. This year's hurricane season is shaping up to be one of the worst ever. No doubt many of our listeners, authors and narrators have friends and family in affected areas. If you'd like to help them out, we recommend visiting charitynavigator.org's pages for Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma relief via the links in our show notes. Our thoughts go out to all those affected. This week, we bring you a rousing tale of madness and sorcery in the form of The Demi-Arcanist's Will by Jacob Drood. Jacob lives in Denmark with his wife and children. It's a good life, but his stories are probably more exciting than he is. They've met aliens, lived in the sun, fought monsters and flown between the stars. They also travel more than he does, and so far they've appeared in magazines in the US, Canada and Australia. Jacob's story is read for us by Alex Weinler. Alex lives in a cottage just outside Cambridge, where he writes science fiction and narrates stories. His new fridge is bigger than the cottage itself, somewhat like the TARDIS but containing far more calories. And now... The Demi-Arcanist's Will by Jacob Druid The cabinet was all but invisible in the fumes, except in the spot where Jan Denaris wove his grounding seam into Master Elozovan's seam of transmission. There the metal hissed and glowed in dark purples as they wove the commissioned refrigeration pattern. Jan's focus on the pattern was so complete that he didn't immediately detect the failure 
in old Master Elozovan's concentration. He only became aware that something was amiss when a searing whip-back knocked the old man down. Deep pain wrenched the old man's kind wrinkles, only to be replaced by a look of utter confusion that made Jan's own chest hurt, as if he'd been the one struck by the whip-back. Twenty years of routine kept Jan from cutting off his own grounding seam, which would have resulted in another whip-back aimed at himself. He slowly let go of his grounding source and sought a push-flow to open the window, venting the stench of molten metal into the city. Only then did he rush to Ilozovan. The old man was holding his hands up to protect his face from the heat, and his eyes stared fixedly at the cabinet. Jan put an arm around his shoulder, hoping to comfort, but Elozovan held his palms up towards him. You're trying to cook me, like a pheasant in wine sauce. I'm trying to help you. Like a pheasant, get out! Jan recoiled at the enmity in the old man's shout. Backing towards the door, he forced his voice to remain calm, and he said, I'll send Amelia up with refreshments. I don't need refreshments, the old man yelled. I need peace! Do you understand peace? Jan's hand shook as he placed a palm on the lock and worked the mechanism. The man staring at him from those hostile eyes was no longer the man he had known and loved in the past twenty years. Where the compassion and patience of a lifetime had been only minutes ago, distrust had flowered, firing waves of anger and outright enmity. He realised the danger he was in just by being there, and sweat started to trickle from his armpits down the sides of his chest. If the old man struck him with his demi-arcane powers, Jan would die. His own world-bound powers would be no shield against the trans-dimensional forces that the old man alone could draw on. The lock clicked open, and no killing blast struck him. Jan slipped out and carefully reset the wards and absorber fields that protected the door and the rest of the tower from wayward power surges. Pausing on the landing outside, he tried to calm himself. Elozovan had never misenchanted an object before. But other lapses came to Jan's mind. The beakers of flammable pyogaza that the old man had placed too close to the fire. The batch of bantil chicks he'd been observing for grounding conductivity that had escaped and set the tower servants on a night-long hunt. And in the past weeks, several prolonged searches for misplaced books and ingredients. Jan placed his palm on the silver door, as if its wards might dispel his suspicion that his master was growing senile. The thought left him sick to the heart. It was a cruel fate for a man of such power, intelligence and kindness to be reduced to mindlessness, especially since it was his mind that made him great. Jan recalled the senescent courtier Trust Alabardo. Alabardo had been the previous mayor's long-time supporter, and the architect behind the cleansing that had rid Panastal of demonic predators and sealed them into their own dimensions beneath the city sewers. After the final battle in the Plaza of Banners, he had started to forget which meetings to turn up for, and when he began calling on the mayor at night-time, often screaming outside the mayor's bedchambers, he had been locked away. He died addled, weeping, and ignored. They couldn't do that to Master Elozovan, could they? Would they dare try? 
Jan waited a while before pressing open the silver door. Ashamed to go against his master's orders, but sensing that blind obedience would be treachery. Inside, the old man sat on the floor. At first Jan took comfort, thinking the old man had found one of his yoga positions. But his legs weren't folded, and his slumped posture showed neither strength nor concentration. Where were you? Why haven't we started on the cabinet? You've been ill, Jan said as much to calm the old man as to put a damper on his own desperation. Master Elozovan, lucid, would never unleash his demi-arcane powers, but there was no telling what kind of damage the old man could do, confused. The mayor would think the man a great danger, as would Jan's family. The tower had been a denarius gift to the Master Elozovan after the cleansing, but since then the old man had no direct heirs. The tower would revert to Jan's great-uncle Taro on Elozovan's death, or if he was declared insane. Neither would be soon enough for great-uncle Taro. Master, we need to get you to bed, he said, knowing that no amount of sleep would cure senescent addling. Your mind needs rest and strength. He helped the old man through the silver door and down the winding stairs to the master's bedroom. The old man's feet hit the broad stone steps firmly, betraying none of the confusion written on his face. Yes, Elozovan sighed as they entered his room. This is peaceful. Jan helped Elozovan across the thick weaved carpet to the four-poster bed and supported him while he sat down. A discreet pull on the bell wire summoned Amelia, the housemaid. Is it morning yet? Elozovan asked, rubbing his bare face. The old man had always wanted a beard, merrily insisting it was the mark of wizards everywhere. However, Elozovan's right cheek was home to an angry patch of red scar tissue, a permanent meaty sideburn devoid of hairs. The old man never spoke of it, but Jan had seen his eyes stray to the razor when the barber visited to trim his chin and left cheek. He always saw self-contempt in that look, as if he were regretting an old folly that had cost him dearly. Jan, why did you put me in a wet bed? Elozovan rose, and before Jan could do anything, he started drying the sheets with a seam of heat that left the linen smouldering. At that moment, Amelia entered with a tea tray. She gave a small gasp as she took in the smoking bed, and her mouth contracted to a thin line when her gaze fixed on Elozovan's soiled clothes. Jan called up a sphere of dissipation to put out the fire while she put down her load. She was shaking, he noticed, but visibly composed herself. I'll get this, she said, and expertly produced clean sheets and a clean shift from a closet on the landing outside the room. While she cleaned and changed him, Elozovan just stood by his bed, scratching his face where his beard didn't grow. After taking care of the burned, soiled linen and tucking the old man in, Amelia brought the tray to the bed and put a cup on the nightstand. Some tea to replenish your fluids, master, she said tonelessly. She poured one cup, curtsied, and left. Jan followed her out the door and pulled it shut with a seam of flow. If you speak to anyone of what you saw here, you'll be in a heap of trouble, he said. She crossed her arms. Is that so? You're not my master, Jan. Seeing how you're the one who dragged the old man down here, you're more of a servant yourself. 
For one angry moment, Jan considered reminding her that his family owned the tower and would fire her when it reverted after Elozavan's death. He thought of telling her that she'd likely die in the battle if someone tried to force the old man out of his home. But both thoughts made him feel miserable, and his words would only add strength to the story she would spread sooner or later. Just remember that anything you say of this will harm the old man, your master. She turned and started down the winding stair, making a crude servant's hand sign, even as he turned and kicked the boulder and... She turned and started down the winding stair, making a crude servant's hand sign. Even as he turned and kicked the boulder and mortar wall of the stairwell, he knew he'd be hearing the first questions all too soon. The man from the mayor's office showed up at dawn two days later, escorted by four arms-bearers. Jan Denaris spotted them from his fourth-floor sleeping chamber during breakfast. Amelia had left him a suspiciously generous meal, apparently a distorted apology for knowing of the visit in advance and not telling him. Jan gave the Nigella-sprinkled honey-buns a longing glance before leaving to intercept the mayor's man. Scenarios of erecting barriers of grounding and heat to block the arms-bearers played out ominously in his mind. He beat Amelia, and thankfully Elozavan, to the door and opened it wide for the visitors. The smile on his face didn't match the churning in his stomach. He was betraying Elozavan by inviting his guest in and taking measures to defend his reputation. The old man did not need a guardian, and even imagining that he did made Jan's toes curl. The man didn't step across the threshold of the tower. Jan of Denaris, I want a word with you, he said. Let's take a stroll, he added, his eyes fixing on Amelia, who ducked back into the ground-floor kitchen with embarrassed haste. Of course, Jan said, taking a cloak from the wall to guard against the morning chill. I've not been part of a business life for two decades, so I'm afraid I don't recall your name. I'm just a humble servant of the mayor, who is, after all, more important than either of us. A chill ran down Jan's back at this. To keep a cool distance, the mayor would, in certain cases, send a proxy, whose questions and words would be as powerful as the mayor's, a man who could take care of the mayor's dirty work. They set a slow pace down the tower stairs that ended at the edge of Panastal's trading quarters. The four arms-bearers followed close behind. Soothing smells of frying peppers from a food stall filled the air, accompanied by the racket of coppersmith's workshops. Jan followed the man, more anxious than willing to hear the mayor's plans for his master. "'Is your master going mad, or is it just a rumour?' asked the man from the mayor's office when they were clear of the tower. Jan hesitated. The last two days had seen Elozavan improve and sharpen, then relapse into forgetfulness and confusion. That was painful to watch, though mostly harmless. However, the night before last, Jan had found the old man in the falcon roost, searing the feathers off his magnificent peregrines one by one. I really couldn't tell you if my master is mad, Jan said firmly. The man harumphed. Before you make an educated guess, let me share a couple of interesting facts with you. First, 
people have been disappearing in Parnassal. A dock worker was found with a bite chewed out of his torso from collarbone to hip bone. All edges of that wound were seared shut, and the ends of his ribs appeared polished. A demon's bite, they tell me. Jan nodded, cursing inwardly. And second? The city council's magicians speak openly of damage to the seals in the sewers. They use the words demi-arcane damage. Two magicians even disappeared while investigating the seal beneath Ransler's market. They stopped in a small but central plaza. Ponstal's colours hung on the walls of the four-storey cloth merchants' warehouses. Customers, traders, horses and moving carts piled high with bales of cloth made the place a teeming haphazard jungle of activity. The Court of Banners, Jan realised. During the cleansing, demons had crawled from the sewers here, gathered in the plaza and devoured more than two hundred people trapped in the buildings. And here, the city's magicians had finally rallied and driven the demons underground, where they sealed them away for time eternal. Or so the story went. The only demi-arcanist in the city goes mad, the man said, his diction formal. The seals are damaged by powers only he can wield. We do not think this is a coincidence. What shall we do about it, we wonder? Jan frowned, worried and more than a little surprised. He had pondered how to help Elozavan, but the news of the seals had him baffled. What if, no, Elozavan hadn't left the tower in the last couple of weeks? You're right that Elozavan would know how to damage the seals, Jan said. He helped make them, after all, but I doubt he did it. His growing senility leaves him more confused than dangerous. Except in the falcon's roost, he didn't say. The man from the mayor's office started strolling across the plaza, and Jan followed. Nevertheless, we don't like the timing, the man said. If the demi-arcane seals are failing now, along with the demi-arcanist's sanity, we cannot ignore it. We are adverse to taking risks, Jan of Denaris. Therefore, we suggest that you get rid of the old man. In exchange, you shall have the tower. The formal delivery felt like a stream of cold water running down Jan's back. The callous suggestion of an assassination was one thing. Worse, it smelled like one of his great-uncle Taro's schemes to get the tower back. If Elozavan died, the tower would go to Jan, and hence the Denaris family. And should Jan die? Well, if Elozavan killed his own apprentice, it would be the perfect proof of his insanity. No doubt great-uncle Taro could use both outcomes in his plan to become the next mayor. What makes you think I could kill the strongest magician to live in Parnstall in four generations? Jan asked. Hit him when he's confused. He'll be much easier defeated than the demons waiting to call up from the sewers. His powers may be dangerous, but if demons are loose in the city, you'll need him to stop them. The man stared Jan directly in the eyes. But can he help us? Or is he already too addle to be of any use? The word use lit Jan's anger like a fuse of powdered pyrogazer. I will help him help you, Jan spit every word out just as you won't. The words, meant to sting, brought only a smile to the nameless man's face, 
and belatedly Jan realised that his agenda might not have been to get rid of Elozavan. Jan's blood ties to great-uncle Taro were well known, so why not get Jan of Daenerys to handle the adult demi-arcanist? Success would show the mayor's benevolence and wisdom, and should Jan fail, well, then the mayor would have the perfect example of dangers you couldn't let a Daenerys handle. It wouldn't be the first time a young man has to take care of his old man's demons. I hope they don't prove too much for you to handle. The man nodded to his arms-bearers, and the five men cut a path through the crowd of the Plaza of Banners, leaving Yarn alone with the fate of an entire city. Yarn started his descent into the tower basement and foundations as soon as he returned from the city. The man from the mayor's office might be worried about the seals beneath the city. Jan found himself much more worried that Elozavan's illness might be tied to the seal directly beneath the tower. His torch sputtered with every step, but lighting his way with a sphere of heat and flow was out of the question. The soil in the deep passages brimmed with fluctuating sources that made seam-weaving risky and likely to cause a whip-back if they suddenly failed. He refused to think what would happen if he had to fight demons with nothing but unstable sources at hand. At the bottom of the staircase, he followed a narrow passage for a while, until it opened into a cavern that had nothing natural about it. Every surface was smooth, and the four-walled chamber itself was oblong, like a silver ingot. Only the far broke symmetry, and here a steady indigo light penetrated the metal greyness of the cave. Inscribed patterns ran along the edges of the light. Jan stopped two yards from the seal, immediately aware of the damage. The power in the room had a tinge of chaos he recognised from Elozavan's demi-arcane seams. It felt as if the forces in the cavern were trying to escape their imprisonment and judging by the minute flaws in the inscribed patterns, power was already leaking. In some places, a little too much grounding flowed through. Here and there, heat created an unnatural updraft, and behind it all was a hunger for this world that he knew must be held at bay forever. A chilly despair tightened his chest and made his breathing shallow. He had no way to assess the damage, much less repair it. Even if he tried, it would be near impossible to hold on to one of the fluctuating sources of power. Even the grounding that it was his speciality. No, he would need help to repair the seal. It'll hold for a while yet, a voice said behind him. Jan jumped, his heart hammered in his chest. Elozavan shouldn't be wandering around here. He's been lying in his bed only that morning. But when Jan turned... He found the old man floating a foot above the floor on a powerful cushion of flow and transmission, complete clarity in his eyes. His presence made Jan feel like a first-year apprentice, caught messing with powers way too strong for him, but his embarrassment had a heavy lining of fear as well. Fear of the old man's ability to weave patterns in this place, fear of his behaviour in the falcon's roost, and more than anything else, fear of his instability and the memories that the seal might spark in his addled mind, memories of past disasters that he would suddenly reenact in the present. I'm doing him wrong, Jan thought. 
He had seen enough suspicion in the world to know it could poison love and foster unlimited hatred. Once a man started to suspect his neighbour, his misgivings would taint his perception of all the neighbour's actions, gestures and words. Jan would not let the mayor's suspicions rule him. He would remain true to what he was, a magician who held Elozovan in the highest regard. I wasn't sure if you knew of this seal, he finally said. I learned that Uncle Taro's father, Theorod, built it, but the family keeps it secret. No wonder Theorod was persona non grata in the Denaris family, and neither great-uncle Taro nor Jan's father had said his name in years. I helped him, Elosvan said. He was a great demi-arcanist. Elosvan's words let that particular piece of family history slide into place in the puzzle. If Theorod had wielded powers that everyone feared, it was no surprise that Uncle Taro had disavowed him. The man sacrificed anyone in the way of power. Master, I came down here to check the seal, Jan said. He didn't say, because you were ill. There are demons loose in the city. Well, they didn't come through here, said Elosavan. For a long second he looked like he was losing focus but a moment of intense concentration brought him back. The demonic is always present in this city, Jan. The city's foundations are too close to the membrane that separates our world from the home of the demons. The power makes the ground fertile for magicians, but it's dangerous too, like living on the slopes of an active volcano. What exactly are these demonic powers? Jan asked. In some respects, they're the perfect pattern of grounding, heat, transmission and flow. You could compare it to light, if you like. Filter sunlight through a prism, and you see the colours of a larger spectrum. Filter demonic powers through the earth and the barriers keeping the demonic dimension from devouring our own, and you get each of the powers in separate form. You said, in some respects, what's different? Elosavan gave Jan his good pupil nod. There's a will in the demonic dimensions an intent that cannot cross into our world. All it desires to do is devour us. Its powers reach us in the form of grounding, heat, transmission and flow, but when it sends its demons here, its power becomes purer and more forceful. It's what we call demi-arcane power. Jan stared at the old man in shock. His words were nothing less than an ambition that he was wielding demonic powers. And not just demonic. If Elosavan had told him the truth, there was a foreign will present in the power he wielded, a will that might be trying to gain control of the old man's decaying mind. The thought made him cold all the way down to his toes. How did you become a demi-arcanist? What happened to you? The questions forced themselves out as an accusation, and Jan watched Elosavan's face darken. What happened to me? Elosavan said. Perhaps I learned something you could learn too, if you put your lazy mind to it. Jan felt his apprentice reflexes kick in. He started to turn away, ashamed, but he realised that the old man's anger was predictable and more forceful than it had to be. A mask. Fear was alive beneath the anger, but fear of what? The otherworldly will that he spoke of? The return of demons with powers like his own? Or was he simply an old man afraid of losing his mind? 
Then I'll have to learn if I'm to repair seals like this, Jan said, as soothingly as he possibly could without sounding submissive. Elizaven regarded him quietly. Then he smiled and expanded his disc enough to give Jan room to fly up the stairs with him. You're smart enough to learn it, Jan, and I'm smart enough not to teach you. But if you come with me, I'll show you how to hunt demons. Jan understood perfectly well that he would never again be safe around Elosivan. The man was simply too unstable. But he also knew that if there was any connection between the demonic will and the old man's mind, he must help the old man repair the seals and break that connection. Elosivan would never have a better chance to regain control of his mind. They entered the sewers through the estuary, the fast current main exit of the city sewers. Opani, the tower coachman, had bought them waterproof boots and scented handkerchiefs before driving them to the docks. But despite these measures, Jan did not expect a healthy journey. Both the faecal air and the thought of demons made his chest tighten. As they turned down the first side tunnel, Jan immediately recognised the signs of the demonic activity. Disfigured holes in the walls, burnt stones, deep scratches in the mortar. The air turned hotter and less obnoxious as they descended a curving flight of stairs that ended in a cavern much larger than the tower's seal chamber. The roof here curved upwards in a temple-like striving for the heavens as unnatural as the shifting powers flowing through the cavern walls. In the centre of the cavern stood a huge cobalt four-armed man-shape. The powers, flashing over its huge naked corpus, shifted between grounding, heat, transmission and flow, in patterns that yarn would have found impossible to weave, even with a hundred years of practice. Nobody in the city had faced such a creature since the cleansing. Three amber creatures the size and shape of grown Rottweilers sat on their haunches around the demon, and behind he sensed the seal, degraded and failing. A pulsing beam of dark energy stabbed from a coin-sized crack in the centre. For the demon to have wrestled its way out seemed impossible, but Jan suspected that demons had a different view of the possible than he did. Jan glanced back at Elosovan to hear his suggestion for their approach, but the old man was already striding forward, and as he passed Jan he whispered, Ground the hounds if they come at me, otherwise stay back. The man strode forward into the circle of cobalt light cast out by the demon's seams, complex patterns materialising between his hands. When he was fifty metres from the demonic quartet, his hands spit out a thick reed of indigo light. Jan sensed its demi-arcane origins, and understood they were much stronger than any pattern Elosovan had ever weaved around other people. The blue-white reed struck the demon in the chest, and it buckled backwards, keeled over and slammed into the floor. Jan just had time to hope the old man's first strike had killed it, before the cavern floor melted and flowed upwards to form a barrier around the cobalt shape. The fluid stone absorbed Elosavan's second and third strike, and while the demon got back on its feet, the hounds turned to face the old man. Jan immediately grasped for a source of grounding. The power in the cave fluctuated wildly, the sources changing and merging in seemingly random patterns, and for a second he thought he'd be completely unable to weave a single seam. 
The next moment he hit a grounding force so powerful he'd never felt anything like it. The holding pattern flew from his hands as if of its own will and froze the hands in their tracks a safe distance from Elozovan. The old man hit the demon's grounding shield with an intricate combinations of elaborate seams, hit it again and again. The stone shield evaporated bit by bit in the superheated cloud. Patterns of pure power punched out of this fog towards Elozovan in long, skeleton-like fingers, but the Demi-Arcanist directed them all into the floor with powerful grounding patterns. For a while, Jan could only stare at the fight, and part of him didn't know who he feared the most, the demon or his untamed master. He understood the Demi-Arcane better now, and saw clearly why the demon was bound to lose this match. Both Elozovan and the demon got their powers from the dimension beyond this world, but while Elozovan could weave his seams and pattern in this world, the demon's actions were controlled from the other dimension. Its body in this world was nothing more than a vessel for a will trying to exert itself beyond its own, twisted realm, and every action it made came just a bit too late to be effective. An explosion from the middle of the chamber sent a shockwave of heat and pebbles through the chamber. The blast threw Yarn backwards into a wall, and for a second all he could do was try to pull air into his lungs in a microscopic, panicked breath. Elosovan had been thrown to the floor. His left leg was bent out and up in a strange angle at the hip. His screams penetrated Yarn's ears above the ringing left over from the explosion, and still he managed to pour seam after complex seam into the demon. The creature's shield lay broken around it, and it seemed barely capable of standing. Shaken from the blast, Jan cast a panicked glance around the cave and located the spots where two of the hounds had been rooted. They had been reduced to a pool of shimmering energy and molten rock. The third, further away from the blast, had been knocked down, but it was struggling to rise. As it got up on all fours, it bolted directly towards Elozovan. Jan reached for a source of grounding, but the one he had used just a moment before had shifted into a thin trickle of transmission. He felt the cold sweat run down the back of his neck as he reached for another source, but came up empty-handed. The hound was close to Elozovan. Jan finally grasped hold of what he could find, a source of heat, and a cutting-edge seam sprouted from his hands. It hit the legs of the hound just below the chest and belly, amputating all four limbs in one go. Still, impetus and pure fury drove the hound forwards. Its jaw hinged shut over Elosavan's leg and bit it off just below the hip. No blood sprouted, and a battle-shocked part of Jan calmly registered that the bite must have seared the wound shut. Elosavan's screams turned to a moan, and power ceased to flow from his hands. Quickly, knowing it was too late, Jan adjusted his aim and cut the hound in two at the neck. It melted away into the stone floor while he hurried towards the old man. The demon, no longer under assault, was stirring, and Jan saw the seams around it slowly come to life. Grasping for power, he focused on the sources in the ground around him and started weaving a defensive barrier, not knowing how long he'd be able to hold the demon off. Moaning terribly, Elozovan rolled over and grabbed his severed leg where the hound had left it. In one absurd moment, Jan imagined the old man hobble forward to bludgeon the demon. But then a weak seam of heat and transmission began to peel the skin and flesh from the leg. The femur inside shone with crystalline indigo powers of the same kind that had flown from the man's hands while he attacked the demon. 
Without warning, Elozavan threw the sword-off end of the bone into Jan's chest. All his might was behind the throw, and the power of the impact knocked Jan back. The femur penetrated his chest and passed out of his back. The pain was as sharp as it was unexpected, but the sensation that filled him wasn't pain. It was power. Looking down in shock, he saw the bone dissolve and flow into him. Power and odd old memories entered his mind and limbs. Memories of battles fought long ago, of demons killed, of good times celebrated and good friends lost. He howled because of the vibration in his chest and the way the old man flinched away. The power in his chest burned and he felt a terrible hatred telling him to strike out at the world. Not entirely unaware of what he was doing, he called up sources for new seams and tied them into elaborate patterns that he couldn't possibly know. His patterns hit the demon with a fury that scared him more than anything the demon represented. He drew power from the bone crumbling inside him, from the rock around him, perhaps even from the old man on the floor. He didn't care. Hatred was all that he was, a simulacrum of vengeance that should never have existed. He didn't know how long his fury blazed. Afterwards, he thought he remembered the deadly combination of grounding and heat that had finally boiled the demon's flesh away, but he could never recall repairing the seal. Most of the patterns he weaved were unknown to him, but someone inside him had known them. Older people, or the memories of older people. He sensed Elozavan there, great-uncle Taro's father, Theorod, and he knew they were helping him fight the blood-boiling fury that had gripped him. Listening closely to their guidance, he found the source of that fury, and with his utmost effort, shut his ears to its angry demands. The war of wills inside him continued while he weaved a stretcher pattern for his master. It kept his mind occupied as he carried the old man to the surface. It filled him while he found the coach, and he knew the war would never cease again. The old man's eyes were dull and glazed pain obviously racking him. Apani, the coachman, struggled to get Lozovan into the coach, while Jan cushioned the old man with a steady seam of flow and transmission. He managed to extract himself from the war of wheels in his mind once, long enough to send a messenger boy to fetch a healer to the tower. With the old man's leg cut off at the hip, he doubted there was much anyone could do, but he had to try. Apani whipped his horses hard, and the coach rumbled recklessly through the city. Jan tried to levitate the old man to keep him steady, but even with his new powers, or perhaps because of them, he felt so worn out that drawing power from even the simplest sources made him queasy. They were passing through Ranster's market when Lozavan's eyes suddenly glazed over. A powerful seam sprang into existence, lifting the old man upright, and a pattern of heat flew from his hands like a cannon shot. It streaked through the coach window and embedded itself in the aged timber on the second floor of a warehouse. Jan sensed the perfect demi-arcane purity of the fireball, and even as he struggled to send his own sphere of dissipation to the warehouse, he knew that fire would claim the building. Parney reined in the horses, and Jan stumbled out of the coach to create a cooling pattern of grounding and transmission. It grew from his hands like a benevolent rain cloud and gained power from the ground. Against demi-arcane fire in a wooden building, his powers might as well have been non-existent. And Jan was by no means ready to announce himself a demi-arcanist. Jumping 
into the coach to see if he could somehow convince Elozavan to fight the fire, he found his master unconscious on the floor. In a fit of panic, he banged on the roof, and the coachman took off for the tower again, leaving behind a milling crowd of workers, customers and angry traders, who had no doubt recognised the tower's seal on the coach. The three assassins entered the tower through a window on the third floor a few hours after Elozavan's death at midnight. Sitting by the dead man's bed, holding his hand, Jan felt a few of the tower's defensive wards give way to attacks of heat and grounding. Most stayed intact, enabling him to sense the progress of the three black-clad figures tiptoeing up the tower stairs. Jan remained seated. He would leave his master at his own time of choosing, and not before. The door blew inward in a gush of heat and flow. Jan shielded himself, and Lossovan's bed with a barrier invented by a long-dead demi-arcanist, and stared at the trio as they ran into the room. They appeared capable of disposing of anyone in the city. The two dark-clad knife-men moved with a quiet grace, and the magician's power was both well-directed and forceful. Jan wrapped the two knife-men in a cocoon of flow and transmission, rendering them immobile, and continued to deflect the magician's attacks. Had the room been lit, he knew he would have seen fear in the magician's eyes, just as the magician would have seen anger in Jan's eyes. The assault on his barrier continued for a while until Jan wrapped the magician in the same cocoon as the knifeman. He's already dead, he told the intruders patiently. Lighting a glow sphere with his mind, he said, he died defending Panastal. Tell the mayor that killing him for a burning warehouse is a lousy way of repaying him for killing four demons. The magician struggled, and Jan relaxed his cage enough for the man to talk. You have his power, the assassin noted calmly. I suppose you killed him to take it? No, what I have he... the words forced on me, stuck in his throat. He gave to me along with the responsibility not to succumb to the demonic will in his mind, he thought. Are you going to claim the tower as well? If you do, you'll always have enemies in this city. This shocked Jan more than he cared to admit. He'd assumed the killers were doing the mayor's bidding, but possession of the tower was only important to the Denaris family. I'm surprised my great-uncle involved you in his plans for the tower. Tell me, had he figured out I would be your target? He told us not to damage his property. Now will you get on with it and kill us? Jan held the magician's gaze, impressed by his courage. This man, like Elozavan, didn't blink at death. With the demonic dimensions under the city, Palmstar would need men like him to defend it. I'll let you go. Put in a good word with my great-uncle. Well, of course, the magician said but aside from the obvious surprise, there was a sideways glance, a split second of embarrassment. That told Jan everything he needed to know. Great Uncle Taro's ears would be closed to any words that didn't fit his plans. Most likely, he would speak from his palace balcony the next morning. He would announce Elozavan's death and denounce Jan as a murderer and menace to the city. He would state, in his clearest demagogical voice, that the old man's madness now ran in Jan's veins, and that he should be cast out, exiled, and that the tower should return to his family. 
Of course you will, he told the magician. He knew he shouldn't have expected anything else from his great-uncle than this. With the tower in his hands, Tower would be one step closer to the mayor's office and the power he'd always wanted. Jan realised that only a sense of duty could keep him in Parnastal. But duty to what? Elozovan had given his life for the city and tarot, the mayor, and the city's population would repay him with ignominy. In his head were the whispered memories of others who had earned the same scorn. They spoke of mountain ranges far away where the demolic will could not reach them, and of cities beyond the sea that would welcome his help in their own struggle against the demons beneath their land. One by one, he released his three prisoners. Leave now, he told them. As they backed out, he called after them, and tell Taro Denaris that Parnastal will have the fate it deserves. He sat awake until the first rays of light peeked over the horizon. Then he finally let go of Elosven's hand and left to pack for a lifelong journey. High magic, assassins, oppressive city-states, demon fighting in the sewers. Is it any wonder we fell for this story? If you enjoyed Jakob's tale as much as we did, then be sure to check out Master of Business Apocalypse, which we featured last year in episode number 132. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our other stories, you can also leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We love hearing from you, our listeners, and we want to know your thoughts on our content. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes, Acast and other podcatchers so that we can build our listenership and keep those stories flowing. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you really can't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors. And violators will have to fight demons in the sewers. Wherever you are in the world, and especially if you're battling the elements of climate change, we wish you well and stay safe. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.